Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Kylie Camps, and welcome to the podcast. This space is dedicated entirely to making a difference in the lives of women. I believe we all have a right and a responsibility to truly live our best lives. It all begins with curiosity, changing our thinking and cultivating more self-love. Through thoughtful conversations and shared experiences, I really hope that you can take something away from this podcast. I'm a business owner, a speaker, a sleep consultant and mum of twin boys. I've also recently completed some training in the cognitive behavioral therapy space and I'm super, super passionate about the ability that we all have to really improve our days. And ultimately, when we take ownership of improving our days, we're really improving our whole life. So let's get stuck into today's episode. Welcome to the podcast. This is a kind of last minute episode that we decided to put together just because as a whole nation and even beyond our nation, there are so many families going through mass devastation and it's so hard to know what the right thing is to say or do sometimes and I've had so many women reach out to me and ask those questions and so I reached out to a woman who I truly admire and trust and invited her to come on the podcast and have a bit of a chat surrounding this really difficult topic. And so that woman is, of course, Dr. Libby, who's here with us today. Libby, thank you for making some time on your weekend. Oh, absolute pleasure to to join you on this, Kylie. And it's understandably just, yeah, really a, a pressing topic at this time that I think we all can benefit from just having a conversation around. Definitely. And so that topic is the state, the state of our nation right now with all of the fires that have been happening and just how to to support families who are directly and indirectly affected by the fires. And I think that honestly, everyone in Australia right now is indirectly affected. We're all feeling so many different emotions when it comes to the devastation that that's happening when we think about the fact that you know over 2,000 homes have been destroyed millions if not billions of animals um humans people are losing their life it's just Mm. you know not to mention people losing their livelihoods it's just Mm. it's such an overwhelming devastation yeah yeah it's so huge it is And like I said, it's hard to know what the right thing is to say or do, but I wanted Mm. to have this conversation with you, Libby, because like I said, I truly admire everything that you stand for. And I'm sure that people who are listening to the podcast already know exactly who you are from previous episodes or perhaps events that they've attended (laughs) and you've spoken at. But for those who might be tuning in for the first time and who are new to hearing from you, could you just give a quick little um, introduction on who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I, my name is Dr. Libby Quinn. I'm a clinical psychologist. So I work in private practice in northern New South Wales and I'm the owner of the Women's Psychology Clinic where I, obviously by the name of that, I only work 
with women because um, from my work in private practice over the past 10 years, I've come to really learn and um, been privileged by working with women to realise just how unique our needs are as women, how different we are physiologically and psychologically what we go through through different stages. So that's why I've kind of morphed myself into being um, what I'm called on IG as the women's psychologist because I think we really do need to take a very tailored approach to um, working with us as women psychologically. So that's who I am. I'm also a mum of two very, very energetic young boys. Um, and I'm a wife to an equally energetic man and um, they just bring me so much joy and chaos outside of work. That's, <laughs> <me>. <laughs> That's you. Well, thank you yeah. for sharing that. So let's get stuck into it. So firstly, yeah. for those families who are directly in the danger zone and directly faced with the devastation logistically, you know, and this is a massive question, Libby, but how do they actually make space to face mm. what's happening how do they move through that trauma of mm. you know losing their home losing their family pets lo- you know just all of it how do they yeah. make space for it yeah and that's that is a a big question i suppose if we start with what we know is um an evidence-based psychological approach in this kind of natural disaster setting um what the research pulls us towards initially is what we call uh kind of employing the principles of psychological first aid so psychological first aid is it's defined as the it's a humane supportive response to fellow humans um, who are suffering and might need support and what that means is we understandably firstly want to ensure the physical safety of ourselves and those closest to us. So obviously removing yourself from the threat of fire and and moving to to safer scenarios, kind of um, that the basic human needs, we need physical safety first. And once we feel that there is an element of physical safety, um, employing the principles of psychological first aid is we want those around us to feel safe. We want to ensure we're connecting with others Um, And we want to kind of instill a sense of calm and hopefulness about the situation. So that's kind of in really broad terms what we want to be aiming for. So I would say initially it's about, yeah, creating that physical safety and then secondly, being able to call on some strategies, which we can discuss now as well, as to how you can stay calm essentially. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. And I think that the biggest thing is that physical safety. I I would mm. imagine it could take some time to actually feel truly physically mm. safe, even Absolutely. if you've removed yourself from that situation where perhaps you're no longer in the danger zone. Just the trauma that, you know, I, and I imagine these families are going to be suffering from post-traumatic stress as well for years because, it, you know, will they ever feel safe again? Like it's, you know, I guess that what I'm trying to say is we want them to feel physically safe quickly, but mm. how do they also cope with those side effects of not feeling physically safe? Like how, how can they make themselves feel safer once they're out of the danger zone? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that points to 
a re reality that would happen for a lot of individuals is that it's acknowledging in response to such a threat or um, horrific experiences, you know, I can't even begin to imagine what some people have experienced, what they've witnessed through what they've seen and, and what they've felt as well, that we need to take stock that at this point in time for some individuals that their nervous system is probably quite elevated and mm. it's kind of in that fight-flight response which is maybe quite yeah. um, switched on as a protective mechanism to kind of keep them on the lookout for threat, um, you know, to, to protect them. But what happens is once we've moved to a physically safe space, our nervous system is still quite switched on where we might be hypervigilant. Um, so whether it, you still might be able to smell or see smoke or you're seeing images on the TV, which is kind of mm. keeping your mind and your nervous system in this elevated state of um, we, we need to be on the lookout. So you've got lots of adrenaline and cortisol potentially coursing through your system. And this is where it is important where we want to, if, if you are an individual in this space or you've got family or friends in this space, to be able to say, okay, how do we create more calm? So, you know, essentially that does start with firstly acknowledging where you are psychologically um, and acknowledging what just has happened for you of being able to talk to yourself really and saying, okay, I'm feeling quite anxious, I'm feeling quite stressed, I'm feeling sad or, or a mixture of feelings and being able to validate ourselves is the kind of the first step to emotional regulation. When we can and validate ourselves and label those emotions, yeah. I was just going to say, I imagine that you'd have kind of some people who in that situation go straight into the do mode and like, okay, right, this has happened and this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to move forward. And that can kind of be a way, I guess, of suffocating that trauma too because mm. it's like I'm just going to keep steamrolling and then you probably have the other side where people are like, oh, my gosh, this trauma is so huge that I can't do anything. Yes, yes, and that's that's just it. There's going to be individual differences into how people are responding people respond. psychologically yeah. to this, and and you know maybe we need to preface that with that's all okay. It, however, yeah. you might be responding at this point in time is really okay in terms of there are individual differences, and we would psychologically expect that there's a mixture of emotions and a mixture of coping mechanisms that you're employing. Um, but if we want to talk about how do we help you to stay on a path that promotes um, psychological wellness in moving through this, um, it's about being able to create more calm in your experience. And um, I think I mentioned this to you before we started recording, Kylie, just what all the research tells us that by generating and building a belief that we can cope, um, so being able to say this is really hard right now, I'm, I'm feeling a mixture of emotions, I don't know how I'm, I'm going to do this, but I'm doing this or this is going to get better and I'm going to build a new life or a different life or we're going to cope, being able to generate all of those statements is highly predictive of your psychological outcome and is really protective against post-traumatic stress disorder in a situation like this. Yeah, so that's really powerful to know, not just, you know, for individuals but for families as well, trying to restore any sense of calm and connection mm. and reminding yourself to, to have the best outcome. You really do have to try and stay hopeful. Yes, 
absolutely and it's it's balancing that you know i'm not wanting to minimize um the severity of what people are going through at the moment at all so it's being able to balance generating hope and a belief in your ability to cope in addition to validating your current experience so you know if you're feeling intense grief or loss or anxiety your ability to say this is what i'm feeling and that's okay is equally supportive of yourself and and necessary in this so it's it's not saying we have to just kind of dismiss our negative feelings and say i can cope i can get through this i'm going to be okay um we want to be able to balance that with also just validating wherever you might be right now yeah important and so would it be fair to say that for a family who are perhaps going through this devastation you know and they hear someone say you know try and restore a sense of calm that could feel like a really big task but if you break Mm. it down into small actions could it be as small and simple Libby as getting your breathing under control absolutely yeah I I know this is one that you're really supportive of Kylie and it's really evidence-based it's just again if we think our nervous system can get quite dysregulated in the face of um experiences like this a key way we can regulate our nervous system again and therefore our sense of calm is directing our attention to our breathing and just being aware of the inhalation and exhalation and slowing that down so if you do that for three breaths three to five breaths here and there throughout your day um, we know that that can have a powerful impact on your sense of calm another really great strategy i think is good to use for ourselves as adults but also children is um, some people call it a grounding exercise or a mindful exercise but wherever you are right now um, if it's for yourself or with your children being able to describe in detail what you see and feel um, you know with your hands as well um, and colors and shapes to be able to bring your attention into the present moment and that that kind of grounding technique can be really stabilizing for our nervous system and calming as well I love that and it's great that you can do that with your kids too I was just thinking as well that's something that you'd want to encourage everyone in your family and in particular the breathing for those kids who are going through this loss and this time of confusion and instability teaching them the power of controlling their breath to calm down their nervous system will be so valuable. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And that's a a big part, you know, while we're on this topic of staying calm and it's a key element of psychological first aid is connection. Um, So that's really important for us as adults and children as well, that, you know, if you're you're with family or friends or or with children even being able to kind of physically hold hands and and remind yourselves that that you are all connected or being able to have conversations with other people and trying to really be in the present moment with that there's there's a lot that can be said for the importance of um, social connectedness as being a protective factor and creating more of a sense of calm in this space as well so that's really important for children too and even you just mentioning holding hands and that physical connection. I was listening this morning to an audio book by John Gottman, who I just, I adore mm. his work. I think he's endlessly fascinating. And he was talking about a study with say, in saying that people in a marriage, if a woman is holding her partner's hand and she is happy in that relationship, 
it lowers her fear receptors significantly just by holding someone's hand. So connection, it can be, you know, connection to your breath and your body, but also that physical connection of, you know, holding each other. Yes, absolutely. And that's so protective for all of us as as humans and our children also for, you know, like what you mentioned there from Gottman's work and also just what we know physiologically with releasing more oxytocin, um, you know, that has a direct calming effect on our nervous system. So, and, and we get that from physical touch when, when that's what we want and need as well. So during these times, really not isolating yourself, making mm. sure that you're still with your loved ones, you're communicating, like you said, holding space for going, yes, this is shit, this is awful, it's devastating and it hurts, but also trying to cultivate hope. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's it's being able to hope is really powerful in in all um, psychological aspects. But the the beautiful thing about hope is that we don't have to have a clear plan of what it's going to look like. We don't have to have certainty of how life is going to pan out. And our minds love certainty. And sometimes in a space like this, that's what um, we're trying to search for in a way is, well, what is my life going to look like? But it's almost being able to say, okay, maybe I don't know what it's going to look like right now, but I can trust that I'm going to move through this and I'm going to cope. Um, and, and just coming back to reassuring yourself with those statements. And I imagine too, as we touched on, having a level of awareness that different people feel differently and they might act yes. differently and process differently. Yes. And so if you do have children you the way that you process might be different to the way that they do so you might be like the okay I'm going to get on with this and I'm going to go you know tick all the boxes and move through this but perhaps your children are different and you just need to be aware and go okay you know what I can see that little Johnny or little Susie really need more physical touch right now so you might find that you end up co-sleeping for a little while because they need that closeness or that they just want to be on your lap and be held. So just being aware, I guess, yes. would be really helpful for kids too. Absolutely. Yeah, but they, they're potentially going to respond differently and we would expect to see, you know, sometimes a rise in certain um, behaviours in children and, and so it's being able to, yeah, just accept that there could understandably be some changes or differences in your child and a really great... Um, I guess you could say strategy, but it's, it's kind of just an element of a child's world or it's how they communicate in the world is play. So I can appreciate that for a lot of um, parents right now who might be facing this, this tragedy, tragedy, it might be hard to think, oh, I need to try and play with my kids or how do I fit that in? But again, it's um, quantity, you know, sorry, it's quality over quantity. So being able to say, okay, I'm going to sit with the kids for five minutes and just be really present and play with whatever game they want to play or we're going to make a little game by, you know, drawing um, shapes in the sand or the dirt or whatever that might be. Like it's just being able to acknowledge that, again, a really protective mechanism for children in this time because it's so reassuring, it's so calming for them is play and that, that mm. kind of mindful child-centred play is key. I remember reading a quote saying that, you know, a child won't necessarily come to you and say, I need to talk. They'll say, hey, will you play with me? Yes. Yeah. 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 So very valuable yeah. point there. And now, obviously, um, for those of us who aren't 
directly facing the fires who aren't in the danger zones, there's still a psychological impact that goes well beyond mm. just the logistics. And, you know, as a nation and even globally, people are struggling to just make space and get their heads around how this can happen. But more importantly, well, not more importantly, but I guess more directly, how can how can we manage the pain that we're feeling and the heartache mm. that we're feeling and the empathy and still keep living our lives. I've had so many women reach out to me and just say they're feeling overwhelmed with helplessness mm. and also mm. guilt because, mm. you know, we're so close. Like Australia, we're so, we're all so connected and we're all so close that it just feels so connected, even though there is that mm. log logistic disconnect. Absolutely. And, and I think that, yeah, like what you've mentioned, I'm, also seeing it's a very consistent response for those of us who aren't geographically right um, in the front line with this, but we're, you know, Australia, we're our own little isolated island in some respects. So there's also this strong sense of um, connection and therefore a, an overwhelming sense of empathy and compassion for those who are going through that. And, and sometimes that empathy and compassion can really tip into overwhelm. Um, so, you know, like what we were saying for those in the front line, it's also important for those of us who are kind of watching this and, and also trying to help in the best way possible. It's being able to firstly acknowledge your own emotional response to this, being able to validate that. So being able to say to yourself, it's okay that I'm feeling worried or overwhelmed or anxious. I'm going to allow that emotion to be there. I'll let that sit next to me I'll engage in some soothing activities to try and regulate my emotional response but I'm also um, yeah really aware of just how important it is that sometimes when we're not directly in the front line with it we can get worry has that ability to um, keep us stuck in a way or, mm. or overwhelm does where it's this it's what we call rumination you know where we're just kind of on this rumination wheel so to speak and we don't jump off where we just kind of keep worrying and our mind likes to think that by worrying about something we're doing something about it um, where it couldn't be further from the truth so sometimes we our mind will think that if I worry about this then I'm contributing to these people or I'm helping these people or I'm protecting myself from the threat of fire here but really I want to encourage people for those not directly affected to view their worry as a cue to take action so, yeah. you know, I'm sure many people already, if they are worried, have already taken action by making monetary donations or tangible donations, um, you know, in whatever way that might be. So if you feel like you've already done what you can physically, um, to be able to acknowledge your input and say, you know, I'm really grateful I'm in a position that I've been able to contribute and that's going to be making a difference to these people's lives. Um, so it's acknowledging, yeah, your worry as a cue to take action and acknowledging the action that you have taken, if that makes sense. That does. It makes makes total sense. And I, I agree with you. It's that remuneration loop, remunerating loop of just being stuck there and feeling like you're helpless and you're overwhelmed. So using that as a cue to go, okay, what can I actually do? Like you said, perhaps it's a monetary donation. Perhaps it's sharing a post on Facebook. Um, you know, those all those things help and add up. But for a lot of women who have reached out to me, they're finding it hard to explain it to their kids as well because it's such mm. a big 
you know, it's even hard as an adult to find the right words to explain yeah. how it happens. And I'm a big fan of giving children, you know, quite an honest response. But how would you approach explaining to children that aren't directly in the danger zone what's going on? Mm, yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's a it's a very strong collective concern for a lot of parents out there. And I would completely agree. And, you know, what the research tells us that it is reasonable for us to um, communicate with our children around what is happening in their wider community but I think what we want to be really mindful of is making information age appropriate so I would be really careful about exposing your children to any images um, because again we need to just be mindful of a child's cognitive development and these a lot of these images are quite distressing for us as adults so we need mm. to be mindful of the level of distress this might evoke for some children um, particularly sensitive children and just being able to have the forethought to think ahead of is exposing my child to this information um, or images, is it going to help them? Is that going to benefit their development or growth? Because absolutely, I think when we can display reality to our children in a way that might create a widening of their worldview, where it might create further development of their compassionate selves and helping them to um, mature and and take action and think of other people 100% that's that's great for their development as individuals but I think yeah you know if we're not filtering images or news stories or even conversations to children um, they can become highly um, distressed by that and, and that's not yeah. helpful yeah yeah no, so I'm not sure so if that answers your question. <laughs> no, it does. It's a it's a great reminder for those families who might continually have, you know, TV or news programs running. Mm. Is that we as adults, you know, I don't want to say desensitized, but we can make a little bit more space sometimes for seeing some imagery. But if it's the mm. first time that a child's seeing it and it's really distressing to them, as parents, we need to have a level of awareness of what it could potentially. Um, do to our kids because you know I remember when 9-11 happened and just that the devastating footage I was old enough to mm. I guess process it but for kids a bit younger that threat of a of an aircraft flying into their home or a building mm. that they're in becomes really real so for little ones seeing homes getting burnt down without mm. you know I guess having that cognitive development it could create such a real fear for them to think that that could likely happen to their house or yeah like you said it just becomes so distressing absolutely so I think it's it's really important to um yeah just probably minimize a child's exposure to that that we as their as their parents and adults we're able to say look there are these devastating fires that have happened in Australia um and and making it age appropriate to say people have lost their homes and some wildlife have died and people have died and you know again depending on your child's age and level of sensitivity with how much information is worth sharing and then I think the beauty of all of this is especially as their parent you can role model you can say this is really hard to see but um, you know and it stirs up anxiety or, or worry for me but I want to use my worry to take action so one of the ways we can help these people is, you know, can you sit here with me and we'll donate some money to these people or do you want to come to the grocery shop and we'll collect some things and we'll drop it off at this point. So 
we want to kind of close that loop for children in a way that this is our reality at the moment and making that information age appropriate, but then extending that on to what's the compassionate action we can take because that's really empowering for children as well and that's strengthening their development too. I love that. So all brilliant, brilliant points and I think that it's great to have them involved in, like you said, doing the drop-off, collecting some supplies, donating some money. There are some wonderful charities where you can adopt wildlife that have been affected, Mm. um, which I think is a beautiful thing to do as a family. I just wanted to circle back a little bit because you did mention sensitivity. Mm. And so for those people in particular, women who I've spoken with online, Mm. who are just finding that they can't make sense of it, they're waking up Mm. and they're feeling like, fuck, like why has this happened? Mm. And just really, I guess, you know, for some people it's that level of empathy can be so hard yeah. hard to just go okay well I've made a donation and it's no, no you know there's no point in me staying here on this loop of worrying which is great in theory but for those people who are really having trouble disconnecting from that I guess a little bit how can they cope yeah and that's yeah that's a a key point Kylie and, and probably a, a big difference we see with individuals is just those of us that do have a more sensitive temperament, which means we're, um, yeah, more prone to higher levels of empathy, which then tips over into overwhelm as well. And that's, I think, you know, it it comes back to, as it often does (laughs) in the work that I do, but um, firstly, generating more self-compassion. It's it's really evidence-based. So self-compassion is just meeting yourself where you are. It's having a conversation with yourself. It's being able to say, okay, I am really overwhelmed that's my temperament, this is really distressing, it means that I care a lot about these people and um, I have strong concern for them, this is okay that I'm having this response Um, and just validating yourself where you are. It's also probably a really good cue that you might need an extra dose of self-soothing at the moment. So we know that one of the key ways to regulate our emotions is, yes, to validate ourselves, to label those emotions to view them as separate to us, like like the weather, that they're going to amplify and, and come and go, but to also engage in activities um, that soothe us and almost viewing this time um, that you might need an extra dose of that. So if that's saying, okay, I really need to be extra consistent um, with my daily meditation um, or I'm going to make sure that I go for a brief walk in the morning and a brief walk in the afternoon or whatever it is that, Uh, that you've identified for yourself as really soothing activities and if you haven't identified soothing activities for yourself um, then to use this as an opportunity to grab pen and paper and sit down and think about what makes me feel good what makes me feel calm is it lighting a candle is it having a bath is it reading a book so yeah using this as a cue to take soothing action actions which I love and I'm the biggest fan of you know I think self-care is so incredibly important but I also know that I, well, I can imagine some women will be listening going, but that feels counterintuitive yes. when so many people out there are hurting. Yes. And yes. that's when I guess you kind of have to, like, you know, this terminology that you've used before in our podcast chats, activate your wise or your healthy adult mo- adult yes. mode in recognising 
you you are where you are and mm. yes you can feel that pain and you can make space for it but it's also okay for you to nurture and love yourself while you're hurting even when other people are going through far worse things I think as women often we feel like you know we have to be the martyrs and there's so much mm. guilt surrounding caring for ourselves and it's amplified when we know when we're seeing that people are just going through the absolute depths of despair so what would you say for those women who are struggling with guilt to even do anything yeah I, I would say again it's it's validating that you have guilt about that and and that's okay but it's acknowledging um like what you're saying there around us engaging our wise healthy adult mind to be able to say um we're not going to be of, of any benefit to anyone in our direct circle or anyone beyond that if we are perpetuating a sense of guilt or we're trying to minimize positive activities for ourselves that feel good because we feel that other people are suffering and therefore we should suffer too no one benefits from that um by us doing that to ourselves. But I totally appreciate it's a very kind of reflexive action we as women can often have, um, is that if we're witnessing other people's suffering, then we feel that we need to, um, yeah, limit pleasure or positive activity for ourselves. And I would just say to to really, um, yeah, focus on, on what we know to be true, that no one benefits from that. So if our ultimate intention is we want to help other people, we want to keep contributing to this as all of this unfolds and the recovery efforts keep continuing as they will for some time. It actually requires many of us in privileged situations to take care of ourselves. Mm. Um, and, yeah, that can be as simple as engaging in pleasurable activities for ourselves to ensure that we're psychologically well. You know, right now our nation really needs psychologically well people for those of us in privileged situations. Um, so I'm not yeah. sure if that helps to, to kind of clear that up. I think that's that really respect. helpful. And for anyone who's listening and perhaps is finding it really hard to administer any, you know, mental first aid to themselves, it could be a great idea to go and speak with your GP and perhaps receive a referral to go on and have some sessions with a psychologist like yourself, Libby, who can really help them to process through why they're feeling the way they are. Absolutely. And, you know, this is probably also really important to point out that you may not be um, directly geographically affected by the fires at this point in time, but you might have um, a history of mental health issues yourself. You might have a history of trauma issues. You might have witnessed or experienced um, a natural disaster previously, and that might also be contributing to um, certain emotional responses coming up for you now which again is really, really understandable um, and that's what we call and, and for those of us kind of sometimes who have a sensitive temperament and we're consuming too much of this information, there can be an element of vicarious trauma, um, which means that we can have a traumatic response by witnessing other people going through um, something very traumatic. So, yeah, it's, it's also being able to acknowledge that if you feel that this is extending beyond what you're able to cope with yourself, or engage the resources yourself, then absolutely seek help um, through your GP and a psychologist if possible. Brilliant, absolutely. And I think that probably the last thing to end on, Libby, is I just wanted to mention that one of the ways I try and make space 
<laughs> excuse me, and accept these sorts of things, although accept is a hard word to use sometimes, but it is what it is, is by really, really noticing the positive side of it, which, mm. you know, sounds even a little bit callous just saying that. But what I mean by that is when we are seeing all of these devastating images, it's really focusing in on the beautiful ones. It's, you know, it's a baby on a mum's hip safely. It's a mm. firefighter giving a drink of water to some wildlife. It's community with their arms around themselves. So amidst, you know, amidst all of that devastation, it's going, okay, you know what, there's so much love there. And mm. as a nation, when you look at the amount of money that has been mm. raised and the amount of awareness, it's so comforting. It mm. really is. So focusing Absolutely. in on, on that comfort that, you know, no one wants to be in this situation where, you have to ha go through the devastation to reach that, but just allowing yourself to smile at the things that are positive. Yeah, absolutely. And and that builds on that idea of what we were saying before of of hope, um, that, yeah. you know, we want to be able to validate and acknowledge the absolute devastation that is happening and ongoing, you know, physically and psychologically for for so many people. But we also, for us, for, for individuals to move through this and collectively as a nation, we want to be able to hold on to the hope in this situation and, and all of the positive um, that is growing and continues to grow from this, from people's compassionate action. I think it's that's kind of what we can all build our hope on through this. Yeah. And if you are feeling overwhelmed and like, you know, you've ticked the box of making a donation or, <coughs> excuse me, sharing a post to bring awareness it's just adding more kindness and going about your day. It's being really kind to the person, mm. you know, that's mm. putting your groceries through at the checkout. It's mm. offering to help put someone's groceries away. It's being kind to your neighbour. It's bringing your neighbour's bin. All of those little things, that, that kindness currency helps us yes. to feel connected as well. So yes. as you move about through your day today, Focus in on those little acts of kindness that you can do for yourself but also your wider community. Yeah, absolutely. Compassion for self and others is um, is the answer in this, I think. Well, Libby, thank you so much, like I said, for taking some time out of your weekend to chat with me about this topic. I'm sure that it's been hugely helpful for a lot of women listening and for their families as well. So thank you. And for those who want to stay in touch with you and follow you along, which I highly recommend everyone does, get your phone out now, <laughs> click follow on Instagram. Libby's always popping up the most useful content. I love her page. So what is your Instagram handle? So I am just on IG as the women's psychologist. Um, and yeah, like what you said, Kylie, I'm, I'm doing my best to show up there and, and share some useful content that um, we all can just engage in on a daily basis to help live with more psychological ease and wellness is the aim. Well, you are a breath of fresh air and I'm really, really grateful Aww. to connect with you. And thank Likewise. you. Likewise. Thank you, okay. Kylie. Thank you for having this platform. It's, um, it's wonderful. My pleasure. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.